So I try to switch it up on y'all. Elevate! Man, praise God for an awesome time of worship. Man, I'm so thankful. Listen, let's just uh, let's open up the word with some more prayer. You can never have enough prayer. But I would like uh, someone else to pray. How about that? Who would like to pray for us today that the word would impact us, that he would speak through me, but also through the leaders in the altar call? Who would, who would like to pray for us? It could be anybody. It could even be you. Okay, AJ. Lord, I pray for everybody here that they'll get a big impact from the word today, Lord. Lord, I pray that their hearts will be changed from any wickedness or sin that they have in their life right now, Lord. Lord, I pray for all those that are watching that they would come, Lord, and stop being afraid of COVID because God, will God you will protect us from COVID, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Thank you for praying. Well... I am glad to be with you guys today. How many of you guys enjoyed our hype night last week? It was hype. For those who missed it, I'm sorry, and we missed you. We did miss you. We missed you very much, but we're glad that you are here. Uh, my name is Joseph Bonilla. I'm the youth director in Elevate, and I have a message to share with you this week. Uh, well, today, we're going to start our new sermon series. Everybody say, Family Matters. Anybody ever seen Family Matters, the show? With Steve Urkel, there you go. That's old, man. That's old. Sorry, that's all right. But there's this idea about family, and family is very, very important, right? How many of you think family is important? Amen. Most of you guys should. If you don't, I'm sure you do. You just don't realize it. But today we're going to be talking about mom, pa. Everybody say mom, pa. Say it like this, mom, pa. Who got the best country accent? Mom, pa. Anybody ever seen those old shows? We're like, Ma, Pa. Yeah. There you go. You guys know that. And there's like Ma and Pa shops. Anybody ever heard of a Ma and Pa shop? Right? Those little, little, those little stores that are started by a couple that are kind of old. Uh, those are awesome stores. But I want to talk about the mother and the father, the madre and the padre, right? How do you say mother and father in Russian? That's not cool. Come on, Russians. All right, how all right? Any any language? How about in uh, Korean? Anybody know Korean? Huh? Melanie, Melanie, where's Melanie? Melanie, where you at? She stepped out. When she comes back, ask her. She's right here. Melanie, how do you say mother and father in Korean? Which one's the father? Ah, Abba me, Abba. Oh, that's cool. That's cool because in he, right, he would say Abba, Abba me, Omi, Abba me, Omi. All right, we're learning about Abba me and Omi today. Everybody say Abba me. Everybody say Omi. Awesome. I hope I'm saying that right. My, hope so. Okay, so family matters. Everybody say family matters. Now, it's good reason to, to believe that family matters, but it's another thing to know that family matters and to know why it matters and to know where even family comes from, right? Uh, family is one of the most, if not the most institution, right? If there's an institution that's more important than the family, I will be surprised. But family is what produces killers, what produces doctors, Think about this. Family is what produces thieves. It's what produces generous people. Family produces presidents. Family also produces tyrants. You see, who and where you grow up in, or the family that you grow up in, does matter. Family does matter. The issue is, is what kind of family are we looking for? What kind of family, what, what do we mean by family? And those are things that the world has tried to redefine, that has tried to reconstruct. When we think about family, we have to understand that the Bible is very specific on what a family is. A family is not just a, a, uh, a husband, a wife, and a dog named uh, Scuba, right? 
That's not, that's not a family, according to the scripture. A family is not a man and another man and a dog named Do, right? It's not that. A family is not a mother and another mother and their child. A family is not a mother, a mother, and a father. It's not that either. It's not a father, father, and a mother, or a father, and a mother, and a mother. No, it, it's not any of those combinations. People want to say anything is family. But no, according to Scripture, this is family, okay? A father, a mother, and their child or children. That's what family is. That family is not something that was just created by homophobic white dudes. That's, that's been the case forever. That has been what family has been forever because that is how God designed it to be. And it's important that a family stay that way. It's important that a family doesn't change, that we don't change what it means to be family. However, even with a father, a mother, and a child, we know there's some messed, thing, messed up things that can happen. So don't get it twisted saying that this is, this is perfect. Anybody who does it this way is perfect. I'm, I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is that the Bible is very specific on what it means to have a family. Let me get my notes up. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 2. I sent you the verses. I believe, Marco, you should have them. Genesis chapter 2, this is verse 20 to 24. Genesis chapter 2, verse 20 to 24. If you've got a Bible, you can follow along. If you don't have a Bible, it's okay, all right, because we got it right up here. All right, so Genesis chapter 2, 20 to 24, it goes like this. Uh, but, no, uh, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So everybody say helper. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now, for some of you that are like, rib? What, what, what the heck? Why would God take the rib? All right? Well, there's different ideas of what God what the Bible meant by rib. It could mean DNA took a part of Adam, uh, but the Bible says rib. Now, Despite the interpretation, Eve came from Adam, that the image of God is not just man, but it's male and female. Now, if you were one of my uh, Bible students in my school, they'd probably be like, so Adam was a hermaphrodite. Is that what you're saying? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that Adam was a hermaphrodite. What Adam was, was made in the image of God. And what this is showing is that man is complete with woman. That man came from woman. And, and I want you guys to understand this now. In here, uh, the man, he recognizes this. Now, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Now, this is not Adam naming Eve like a pet. This is Adam recognizing Eve for who she is as the woman that would give life to our earth, right? This is out of me, right? Out of Adam, right? Out of out of, she was taken out of man. She's taken out of me. So recognizing the importance of her. So understand that, right? Male, female, father, mother. This is why a man leaves his father and mother. So this is why we have this idea of you leave your parents, right? You can't just be playing Xbox all day with Aaron, right, and TJ and, and all of them, right? You can't be doing that. Sometimes you got to leave the crib. You got to leave the crib. And you got to find yourself a boot thing. And when you find yourself a boot thing, you know, it says boot thing anymore. No one even says bay anymore. What y'all say now? What y'all say? I know, but you're, you're a little older now, Will. <laughs> You've kind of gotten old. It's okay, Will. Just say, Victor, what do, what, do, what do we say now? Huh? Oh, uh, what? All right, well, we're not, we're not, I'm not even rocking with that. What is up with that, man? All right, you find yourself a nice wife, right? How about that? You find yourself a nice wife, right? That's for a man, okay? A man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife. Understand this. It's not a dude leaves and hooks up with some female and they just get it on for a couple of years, have some kids, and that's it. No, it's a man 
leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife. Okay, let's continue to read, please. And they become one flesh. Hold up. So God created Adam, created Eve out of Adam, but when they come together, they're one flesh. Do you see that? They're completing themselves in a sense. They're completing the design that God made in the beginning. So that is what God wants us to do, is to be united in one flesh to one another if we're married, right? Now, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So this is what we understand. Okay, so this is the theology of family. Everybody say theology. So theology is the study of God. This is how we know, understand God's idea of family. We look to Genesis. So this is our understanding that family comes from God. Everybody say family comes from God. Family comes from God. It doesn't come from social experiments made by these people that were early humans that figured out, man, let me just sleep with this one woman because when I sleep with this one woman, I know she can cook well and, you know, I can hunt and we can just figure it out this way. You know, that wasn't how it was. Uh, God designed it to be this way and that's why as far as we can look back, it's predominantly been this way. No other creature in the animal kingdom is as monogamous as humans. You have a few birds here and there, like one one species of birds, but they don't have, of course, the intellect that we have to, to create gifts for this person, to celebrate anniversaries, to make a life around this person. They don't have that, that way of doing things. We, on the other hand, were made differently, and it's because we're made in the image of God, okay? God made family. God was not thinking of polygamy or a polyamorous relationship. He was not thinking of that. All right? He wasn't thinking about some of the Jubilee videos you watch where you're like, oh, this person has three girls. This guy has four girlfriends. This girlfriend has five dudes on the side. Why? Why not, though? Right? You look at some people in the Bible, they had multiple wives. David had multiple wives. You know, Abraham slept with Hagar. Right? Anybody ever heard of that story? These people did it a little differently. Why is it that the family's still one wife? One husband and their children. And we'll talk about that because when we look at Genesis, we see that God created Eve and gave her to Adam. In a sense, God was the giver of Eve to Adam. Eve was a gift from God to Adam. When you think about family, family is a gift, right? We have to understand that. When we look that God, uh, that man uh, is to be united with his wife and they become one flesh, that also means one family. It doesn't just mean flesh as in they had sexual. It's deeper than sex. It's actually commitment, trust, right? Sacrificial love. That's what this is talking about here, that Adam became one flesh, one family with Eve. They were no longer two families, two separate purposes, two separate commitments, but they were one commitment, one family together. And this is from God. And this, according to God, is good. Everybody say good. So Adam and Eve, uh, not just man and woman, but family united represent the image of God. When you want to see the image of God, it's, it is seen in man. Man is made in in, in, our, in God's image, but it's all of mankind made in his image. It's the family that's made in God's image. When we want to see God, who, who is what? God is love, and love is not seen when you love yourself. That's called narcissism, all right? God is not narcissistic. The Father so loved the world, but he loved the world, right? We know he loved the world because he loved the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Son glorifies the Father. So we see that God is love, so this is the theology of family, and it comes from God. God is love. We see this God love, this, this godly love, when we look at family. And this is what we also have to understand. Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 to 29. This family is not just created just to be there and chill, right? It's not, it, we're not just created to watch Netflix all day, guys. Like, what's your family time? Well, it's just watching Netflix all day. Right? That's okay, you know, for a certain extent, right? But that's not your only purpose. Your purpose is actually written out in here, right? 
Uh, it says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Understand, that doesn't mean that we're supposed to be like, you know, just beating up animals and everything. And, and whatever we want to do with animals in the environment, like we can't, you guys should take care of your neighborhoods, take care of the environment. We're supposed to rule over it. But as God will rule over it, we're supposed to rule over the animals as God will rule over them. So he doesn't want us just beating little Peppa, okay? Don't beat Peppa. Be nice to Peppa, okay? All right? Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth, and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And he said that to the, to the animals as well, but he gave us control of the animals. He blessed us and told us to be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. We have a purpose. This family... This family, this one flesh, is supposed to spread the God-given gift of life of the Garden of Eden. They're supposed to multiply not just themselves, but multiply this goodness that they have, this thing that is coming from their family. They're supposed to share it with everything now, right? Share it through all creation. That's what they're supposed to do. That's what the family is supposed to do. So this family has a purpose, so we see families from God, it's designed purposefully, and is united, not just united for the heck of it, but united in marriage together as one. I want to let you know, cohabitation, a man that is sleeping with someone that is not his wife, no matter how long they've been together, God does not recognize that marriage. That is not a marriage. That is not a marriage. Why? Listen, marriage has to do with a commitment. A commitment has to do, in a sense, with a contract. Many of you are too young to recognize that, but when you make a deal with someone and you don't got it in paper, it really didn't happen. It really didn't happen. You can have a word of mouth clause, but that's very iffy. When it comes to legal things, you need a contract. If That's why we got so many single moms. Why do you think? Do you know how many single moms there are? There's millions and millions of single moms. It's easy for a dad just to dip. It's real easy. It's real easy. You're not breastfeeding that baby. You don't need to be there. Just dip. It's easy for a man to dip. It's easy for a man to say that. A woman, it's not really that easy. This baby just came out of you. This is, this is yours. I'm not saying every woman feels that way, but for the most part, most women do. So we know that marriage is important. It's a legal covenant. But not only that, God designed it. Now, God didn't always design it to look like it does today, okay? So the certificate of marriage, God didn't design that. That's, that's, that's America. America designed that, okay? But God recognizes marriage done by witnesses, done in front of people. Who was the witness here? God was the witness of this marriage, it was done before God. The first family was done before God. God was the witness that he recognized it. So if we don't follow this, we don't have the family that is from God. We have a distorted view of family, one that lacks commitment, one that has fear, okay? And we'll get a little bit into statistics, but that is how most people are when they are not married. They sleep with the person, but they don't know if that person is going to be there when they wake up. That's just how it is. That's how it is. You don't know if this person that you call yours is actually yours. Matter of fact, they could be somebody else's, and that's how it is. Now, that can happen in marriage, but guess what? There are consequences now. There are consequences. Family is from God, a family that has purpose. They're together united in marriage, doing what God has called them to do together. That's the theology. That's the understanding. That's how we know families from God. So when people are saying, well, you don't have a right to say that a man can't marry a man. You don't have a right to say a woman can't marry a woman. I do have a right. Matter of fact, it's America, so technically you have a right to disagree with me as well. But what I'm coming from is not from my own opinion. I'm coming from the word of God. Now, if you want to, like, there are civil unions. They could get married or whatever in Vegas, do their thing. But I would never recognize, neither will God, a marriage between a man and a man. And we have people in this church who come from families that have 
same-sex marriages. And of course, you don't treat them like they're second-class citizens. The Bible says to love those outside the church, to love those that don't know Jesus. So you don't treat them as less than, you don't, you don't, you don't hate them, you don't mock them, you don't insult them, but you just can't recognize their marriage. If you want to be honest with the scripture, because the scripture just plainly puts it out there. This is a family, a man that leaves his father and his mother to be joined to his wife. Now, this is the practical thing. Mother and fathers are not just there to have kids. They're not. Sometimes mother and fathers have kids, but they don't do anything with them. They don't teach them anything. They don't, uh, imi- they don't, they don't produce anything in them. They don't push them. They don't motivate them. They don't encourage them. They just have them, and they tell them to do things for them. That's true. You guys, par- you guys do have to do what your parents say, but parents are actually responsible for the education of their children. So when you look at kids that don't know something, you automatically look to the parents. Why is that? Why is that? It's because the parents are responsible. For the young man, Adam, who, just, who was just shot, he was out at 3 a.m., gangbanging, shooting, and the cops that shot him, whether or not you agree with that, disagree with that, one thing we can all agree with, he shouldn't have been out at 3 a.m. being a gang member. But who do we look to? See, young 13-year-old kid, he's impressionable. We look to the parents. Why? Because they are responsible. So we understand that family is from God, but now we have to understand what to do as parents, right? Parents, they lead their family to God. Everybody say parents lead their family to God. So a parent is to lead their family to God. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Listen, the re- and there's a reason why I'm telling you guys, and I'll get to that in a moment. You guys are like, I'm not a dad. I'm not a mom. I don't plan on ever being a dad or a mom. I don't plan on ever getting married. And then we'll talk about you too, okay? Because you're not, you're not exempt from family either. But we see that parents are to train children. If we go to Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, it reads, Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. In, a, in, in another translation, that start really means to train children off in the way they should go, to train them. And even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Listen, I'm going to tell you guys something that you may know, may not know, but everyone in the world is trying to indoctrinate you. Understand that. Everyone in the world is trying to teach you to think like them. The minute you go to school and they start to teach you something, that's them trying to teach you to think like them. The minute you go to the barbershop and some old dude's trying to tell you how to live, that's him trying to teach you how to live. The minute you go to your aunt's house that always has something to say and always has something to talk to you about, that's her trying to teach you how to live. So understand this, everyone is trying to teach you how to live, but whose responsibility is it to teach you, to train you, to help you learn how to think, to help you learn how to act, to react? It is parents. The parents are to train the children off in the way they should go. If we go to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4 is very similar. It says, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Ephesians 6, verse 4. It says right here, Fathers, do not exasperate, or the Bible also says provoke your children. Instead, bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. See, this is Paul writing, different author, and he's saying the same exact thing. He's saying, parents, listen, the school is not supposed to raise your kid. Your, your, the streets aren't supposed to raise your kid. Your best friends aren't supposed to raise your kid. When I was young, my dad didn't really teach me things like about Jesus, uh, about the Bible, about women, about money. So who did? My friends. My friends, at times, were almost like my parents. I went to them for advice. I went to them because I didn't know the answers to life. And they told me some of the craziest things I've ever heard. Things that I don't want to repeat. Things that I believed wholeheartedly. And I I regret believing them because it messed me up. It led me in a way that I should not have gone. When I decided to listen to them, they trained me. They trained me in their own way. 
Understand when we talk about training, it means basically a dedication. The parents are supposed to dedicate their children to the Lord and commit to instructing them about Jesus. In a sense, a parent is supposed to disciple you. If you have a parent in this place that has never instructed you in the ways of the Lord, that has never taught you about morality, has never taught you about who God is, they have not been a sufficient parent. They have failed you as a parent. They didn't do what they were called to do. A parent is supposed to look to God and then instruct you. Now, this is done not just by their word, because training, how many of you know, how many of you know, how many of you guys have ever been trained before, like a sport, maybe uh, anybody ever learned how to draw before, any artists in this place, any dancers, right? How many of you know that verbal instruction isn't enough? How many of you know verbal instruction isn't enough? You need to be shown how to do it. When someone tells you, like my wife once told me to, once told me to do like a triple spin for dancing. She has it on video. You'll never see it. But I did it, and I did it completely wrong. And it's because I did not know. For me, I'm a very, very hands-on learner. I need someone to literally hold my hand and move me to do it, right? I need someone to help me in that way. And a lot of us are. See, when it comes to training up children in the Lord, the parents are supposed to actually be an example. I learned a little differently. I learned from my parents' mistakes they showed me. But I was supposed to learn from their victories. A lot of times I was told, do not do what I do, just do what I say. How many of you were told that? Do not do what I do, just do what I say. But I want to let you know that's actually wrong. That's not how you're supposed to be trained. Because that's not how life works. That's a hypocritical thing to do. Parents are actually supposed to be the example. You're supposed to see their life and imitate it that way because that's what you're going to do regardless. So if you have been told that, you were also failed. You were failed. You're supposed to see in word and deed a representation of the love of the Father who is God. And you're supposed to see that not just in one parent, but in both. Not just in the mother, but in the father. And they're supposed to give you instruction and wisdom. Of course, this is the thing. It's supposed to be done in different ways. The father is not going to do it the same as the mother. The mother's not going to do it the same as the father. And this is an interesting thing. If you research same-sex couples and never look it up, there's always one parent, one partner that is more feminine than the other. And there's always one that is more masculine than the other. Why? Because even in that, they need to try to represent and replicate the thing that God made. They need to do it. It's the only way to produce a marriage is if you have one person that's supporting the other and another person that's willing to cover and support the other. And they have to be able to submit mutually. And they have to be able to raise a child unified together, being able to both at the same time instruct wisdom and be on the same page. This is not seen a lot, though, in marriage. This is not seen a lot in family. So what you have are kids that see a divided family that doesn't know how to raise a kid. Now, why am I telling you this? One, it's good for all of us to know. It's just good knowledge to know what a parent is supposed to look like. Two, you or others that you minister to are going to be parents one day. So if you don't plan to be a parent, you will be ministering to a parent And they're going to wonder how to be a parent. And you are going to need to teach them by the word of God how to do so. And three, there are some false ideas of what it means to be a family that need to be corrected. There are some ideas that families just scream at each other. That families don't uplift each other. That if you cry, you are less than. If you are weak, you are less than. I literally just read you a verse where it says fathers, and it's not just fathers, though. The Greek word can mean mostly parents. Parents, do not provoke your children. Your parents aren't supposed to get you upset just to get you upset. They're not just supposed to anger you, but they're supposed to admonish you. That means encourage you to live a life according to the faith. But we don't see that a lot. I remember one time I worked at By the Hand. It's a, it's a program that is for the inner city, and I saw a, I would, I would do drop-offs on the bus, and there was always these little kids uh, that we would drop them off, um, and there was this one that was like six years old, five years old, 
And he came off the bus. He was running. He was like, Mom, 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 and super happy because you got to understand this is an after-school program. So they haven't seen their parents from like 6 a.m. to now 6 p.m. So all day they haven't seen their parents. Now, when that, what does that mom do when she sees the kid? Does she, say, does she greet the kid with a hug and embrace them, let them know that he was missed, that she was missed? No, the kid was screaming at, man, get the F inside. I was like, what the heck? That kid hasn't seen the mother in 12 hours, a whole day. You have families that they don't even talk to each other. You don't eat together. You don't talk to each other. You have families. They don't share anything with each other. That's not a family. A family is full of admonishment, of encouragement, of correction, of instruction. A family is together, united. But there is redemption because here's the thing. Parents are humans. So I know I've been dragging out a lot of parents, and a lot of you guys are like, man, yeah, that's right. That's right, Ma. Some of y'all texting mom and dad right now. Listen, y'all ain't right. Repent. Repent. Look at this. No. Listen. Parents are human. They are going to do this as best as they can. They're going to rely on God, but they're not always going to get it right. And this is what I've learned in my 25 years of life is that you can't blame your parents for everything. You can't because you blame your parents, and what is that going to do? That's not going to fix the issue. That's not going to fix the problem. You going to an absentee dad or an absentee mom or something, as, as you know, you going back to your trauma is not going to heal you. But if you go to God and you rely on him, he will heal you. I want to share with you some stats just to help you understand you're not alone in this. Matter of fact, if you have been without a father, understand that more than a quarter of 121 million men in the United States are biological fathers of at least one child under the age of 18, but four out of five fathers of minor children live with at least three of some of those children. So about... Four out of five live with some of all three of them. That means there's divided. Uh, and that is almost three quarters live with all their minor children. So about four out of five fathers, okay, look at those four out of five, they live with at least three, at least some of those children. So some of the children, they're divided. So if you have a dad who has kids with another family, a lot of times what happens, they'll choose the second family and they'll, they'll be with them. That's just the truth of things because the dad either learned mistakes and then they're going to try to make up the mistakes with the second family. That's the truth. Now, that's a lot of people. That's 79% of people that have uh, kids that are separated, right? Additionally, there are 1.8 million men who are solo fathers to a minor child. So a a 1.8 million single fathers. That's not spoken a lot about. I, I was raised by a single dad. So that's not spoken about a lot. And uh, solo dads and absent dads both differ from large groups. About roughly 34 million fathers who have at least one children are un- uh, solo fathers have one child under the age of 18. Uh, now, here's the thing. Uh, dads that are single dads and dads that leave, right, they both have problems because they're not doing what God called them to do. And guess what? The problem is their kid's going to suffer. Their kid's going to suffer, and it sucks because with a solo dad, sometimes it's not just because the mom left them and they left the mom. A lot of times it's because the mom died. That's how it was for me. My mom died, so my dad had to raise me, and he never remarried when I was young. Now, here's the thing. It's not just dads that leave, but sometimes it's moms. Uh, There are 2.4 million moms who don't have custody of their kids. Now, here's the thing. There's over 8.6 million single moms. Think about that. 8.6 million moms. That's a lot of single mothers. We used to have in our church uh, a single mom's Bible study, really powerful. But there's so many single moms out there, it's insane. And you'll see that this is how it usually happens. It's a hookup or this is what it is. Most Americans, uh, most Americans, they see getting together. I just want to get the... so. Many cohabiting adults, that means many adults that live together without marriage, they see living together as one step closer to marriage. So, again, it goes back to family. Family's commitment. 
So a lot of times people want the benefit of sex without the commitment of marriage. People want the benefit of going home to your girl to a nice cooked meal. You know, you having a man that you can call your own. You having someone that can buy stuff for you that you can buy stuff for. And they see that benefit, but they don't want to deal with the commitment. So they think if we just live together, we'll be one step closer to marriage. Most of the time, that's not true. And, some, and a lot of marriages now, and this is what I want to help you understand, because a lot of people are like, oh, 50% of marriages all fail. Do you know why 50% of marriages all fail? Because they're usually not done right. Most marriages nowadays start from cohabitation. They think, well, let's just move in together, and then we'll get to know each other, and then we'll get married. So they move in together, and they probably think, well, we're already moved in together. I don't like you. I found out I don't like you at all, but we're already moved in together. Let's get married. So they get married, and the problems still stay the same. That person doesn't change. They're still the same person. That person still talks to other girls. That girl still can't stop talking to her ex. That guy still don't got a job. Y'all been married now, two years. So you understand that the same problems still happen whether or not they're married. And a lot of times that 50% of marriages that end a divorce are because of cohabitation. Marriage still works today, guys. Marriage still works. It just has to be done right. So we have to understand is that there's a lot of things coming at you guys, and it all starts with parents. Then we have the idea of abortion. You guys, if you were born 10 years from now, you'd probably be aborted, just to be honest. Because if you, let's say, come from a family that's not married, okay, Chances are they're not going to want to have a kid because it would ruin their life. Now, here's the cool thing, though, that I think that's happening with America. Abortions are declining at a rapid pace. So even as people are screaming, women's rights, women's rights, people are aborting less. As a matter of fact, the statistics show that people actually don't favor abortion as much as media shares. And I don't think it's because abortion has made illegal. That's like people murder less because their murder is legal. No, that just, that's not how it works. It's because of education and access to the Internet. When people started to learn that fetuses right, are feeling pain when they're getting aborted, that kind of changes your mind on whether or not you should have abortion. When people see dismembered babies, they think, well, maybe I shouldn't kill my baby. But here's the thing, this is something that's not being shared, is that as education and information is being spread out there at a rapid pace, influencing people, people like to say, well, it's because it's legal. No, that's, that's, that's a fallacy. That's a causation fallacy. Just because you make it legal, there is no logical leap you can get to now it being uh, less. Because abortions being safer, more accessible, should logically create more abortions. That's the logic behind it. But the fact is, it's not. It's not. It's creating more support for abortion, but more people are saying no to abortion. It's because people understand it. But either way, people are kind of rejecting marriage. I shared with my Bible class, uh, my eighth grade Bible class, because all of them were saying, you know, do you support Black Lives Matter? And I'm like, dude, Black Lives Matter, amen. Come on, come on. How can I be Puerto Rican and not say Black Lives Matter? My mom was darker than some black people I know. Why would I? She was actually so dark they called her negra, negrita, right? And that is not the N-word. That's what Latinos do to, as a term of endearment for someone who's dark-skinned. There's a picture of her. She had an afro when she was young. Why would I not say black lives matter? My mother actually voted Democrat way back in the day. My mom was actually very, very loving of people that help the poor, right? Like all these social programs they want to do. I'm like, why would I not say Black Lives Matter? And here's the thing. Christians have been helping the poor forever. So when we talk about Black Lives Matter, you have to understand all the charities you, you know about, that Muslims do, that Jews do, all that. Guess who started that? It was a man named ba uh, Basil of Caesarea. He was, a, he was a bishop, and he's the one that started getting Christians to do voluntary humanitarian work. 
In other words, charity. We wouldn't have charity. We wouldn't have people going to broken neighborhoods without Christianity. Before that, philanthropy was to get your name out there. And it was done for religious settings. They would donate to religious places to get their name uh, basically erected forever. But Christians started doing that for the glory of themselves, but for the glory of God. So when people like to say, man, black lives matter, I say, yes, but this is what doesn't matter. Your attempt to destroy the nuclear family. Black lives matter, part of its motivation is liberation theology or this idea that trans people, gay people, the whole LGBT gender, uh, the gender, um, what's the word? No, no, the, it's because they say that gender is not, it's, uh, no, 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 help me, not neutral, not gender neutral, I don't know, it's the word, okay, just think of a line, okay, they say gender can go anywhere on this line at all times, okay, this is what Bill Nye the Science Guy is teaching now, even though t- 20 years ago he taught that it was male and female, he's backing out on that, but the movement is to get a, that idea across. But the problem is, is that we still have this thing, this pesky little thing called family, the nuclear family, father, mother, and child. So because of that pesky little thing, we can't really get this movement across. This is an issue. So what are they doing? They're attacking the family. They want to make men ashamed of masculinity. They want to make women ashamed of being feminine. They tell you, oh, you don't have to be a man like that, but then they can't tell you how to be a man. They say, you don't have to be a woman like that, but then they don't tell you how to be a woman. But then they say, there is no such thing as man. There is no such thing as woman. But then a man can identify as a woman and win women of the year, and they'll, they'll cheer. You see, it's all a bunch of confusion. That's why, for most part, it's gender dysphoria. It's confusion because the family is what keeps the people together. Matter of fact, this is how important the family is. When Jesus came to establish his church and he looked to his disciples because they were out there calling him crazy. His brother didn't become a believer until after the resurrection. And his brother was almost saying he was crazy even after performing these miracles. So what did he start to say? Because they were like, Jesus, your brother, your sister, your mother, they're outside, and they want you to come out. And he says, who's my brother? Who's my father? Who's my brother? Who's my sister? Who's my mother? Then he looks to his disciples, and he says, you're my sister. You're my mother. You're my brother. What was the way that he described those who followed God? It wasn't as employees, like other religions. It wasn't as uh, as workers or, or just co-workers, even though that's used, Jesus goes right away to describe them as family. The church, and this is why even if you don't ever want to get married, you have to understand how family works. It's because the church is seen as the family of God. So family matters because God makes it matter. Family matters because God made the church to look like family. So no matter what we do, we can't escape family. And this is what I want to tell you, that if you came from a broken family, if you came from a family that failed many times, I want to let you know you're not alone. We go back to Psalms chapter 27, verse 10, 11. Because the truth is your father and your mother may leave you. Your father and your mother may reject you. Your father and your mother may even say they disown you. They don't want anything to do with you. Your father and your mother may speak bad about you. They may gossip about you. You may never win the approval of your father and mother. This is just the reality of things. People go so long saying, man, I never got the love from my father. And it's so sad. But you know what? Let's try to focus now on who does love you. Because the more we focus on the approval of someone we can never win, when we have the approval of the one who gave his son for us, the more we'll continue in sin. That's the truth. 
The more you'll continue in a lackluster life, an empty life, a life that doesn't have the love that you seek. You see, because your father and your mother may forsake you, but the Lord, everybody say the Lord. He will receive you. He will receive you. You see, you're not alone in this idea that, man, my dad left me, my mom left me, my dad and my mom, they don't really talk to me, I'm not close to any one of them. You're not alone. I just listed statistics. There's millions of people like that. You talk to your leaders, we've been like that. But we've been received. You see, the Lord has received us. You see, the Lord will never leave us nor forsake us. See, the Lord, where your father and your mother fell short, God, he doesn't just fill those gaps, right? He overflows those gaps. The love that you experienced or the lack of love that you experienced from your father does not dictate who God is. Because a lot of times people project when we speak about God's discipline, when we speak about uh, fearing God, when we speak about honoring God, when we speak about God as Father, or or we speak about that, we kind of see our own Father in that. For some of us, that's a positive thing. Like, yeah. Some of us, it's a negative thing. I'll give you an idea of how even if you had your Father in your life, it can become a negative thing. My uncle, me and him always have conversations about Jesus. Problem is, he's not living for Jesus. That's an issue. We have talks about him, but we never, he never really lives for him. He knows all this, but he doesn't make the decision to follow Jesus. But he says this. He says, God will never send me to hell. I would never be alone from God because I see God like my own father. See, I could do anything, and he's done a lot. His past was crazy. Then he went into the military, but his father never rejected him and never said that he was wrong or anything. Kind of never like said, hey, you need that bow bow. You need to stop, right? God is different. God actually has an expectation for his children. A lot of times fathers just want to be best friends. Mothers just want to be best friends. So you can confess anything to your mom and your dad, and they'll be like, oh, okay, and they'll talk to you like a friend. But God isn't like that. He hears you as friend. He is your friend, but he will discipline you. He will convict you. He will take things away from you. Too much is given, too much is required. God is fathering us with discipline and love, but not like an abusive father would in this life, not like a manipulative parent in this life, not like a dishonest parent in this life. When God promises something, when God says something, he doesn't just say it, he does it. Psalm chapter 27, then continues like this, teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in the straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desires of my foes, fault, witness. And I, I said that over uh, in earlier, but get that. Teach me your way, Lord. You see, where your parents didn't teach you, the Lord will teach you. Where your parents fell short, the Lord will not fall short. Where your dad wasn't there, God will be there and he'll teach you how to be a man. Where your mother wasn't there and she wasn't able to nurture you, able to love you. Listen, God will nurture you. He will love you. The Bible says that his name is El Shaddai, right? And that speaks of a caretaking God, a God who has you close to his chest. So we understand is that God, he's able to redeem the idea of parents. He's able to redeem your family. He's able to. You see, God is not a, just because we have an abusive father, we don't have an abusive God. Just because our father is an absentee father doesn't mean our God is an absentee God. He's the God who's ever-present help in times of trouble. You see, just because we've been abandoned by our mother, we've never felt that love from our mother, doesn't mean that we are abandoned by God. Because God is our helper. Get that. God is our helper. Who was Eve? Adam's helper. Do you understand how God he, it's not like God is limited. You know, God is tough where he's that dad that just screams at you, kicks you in the shin and says, Stands up, stand up straight. No, see, God is that God who kneels down, sees that you're hurt, and he picks you up. And then when you're alone in your time of prayer, he meets you there. You see, God is there to teach us, to instruct us. If we listen, he will show us the right path, even if we don't have someone to guide us. 
So we cannot let their failures become our failures. Understand that just because your family failed in something doesn't mean that you fail in it. And just because your family failed in it doesn't mean you have to strive not to fail in it. Because a lot of times people become so focused with not becoming like their parents. I want to let you know that's the wrong focus. You shouldn't focus how not to be like your parents. You should just focus on how to be like Christ. If you focus not to be like your parents, you will build resentment, bitterness, anger, and hatred towards your father and your mother. You will now create new failures. And guess what? Now how you parent will not be how God wants you to parent, but it will just be the opposite of how your parents parented you. So if your parents were strict, instead of listening to God to show you how to parent, you're going to be like, well, I'm not going to be strict at all. I'm going to be my kid's best friend. Oh, well, your parents were super soft, and they let you do whatever, and you got in a real messed up time, so now you want to overprotect your kids. You want to make sure they do nothing. They don't even breathe without you knowing. Well, now you're going to create a whole new set of failures. But here's the thing. This is one thing we can rely on, right? Go to Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. If I can have uh, Melanie up, please, and the altar workers. Listen, I want to let you know, if you don't have parents, you don't have family, but you do have the church, okay? And we, I, you know, it's not like you have to call, start calling Vicente, dad, or father, or Karina, mom, right? Even though sometimes Libni did. Where's Libni? Yeah. It, it's, it's, the church is meant to be family. So if you feel like you're lacking something in your family, we're not here to tell you, hey, leave your family and join us like some weird cult. That's weird. All right, we're not, we're not kidnapping you, okay? We want to help you reach your family. If you've been coming to Elevate to get away from your family, I want to let you know to stop that. I want to let you know to start praying for them. A lot of people I know, they use Elevate and youth group and all these programs as an escape. I want to let you know, it won't be your escape for long. It won't be. You may come from an abusive household. I don't know why you want to escape. I don't. But what I do know is that God cares about your family. And if you're not 18, you're there. And if they're not doing anything, if they are doing something illegal to you, if they're molesting you, if they're abusing you, if it's your stepdad abusing you, your dad abusing your mom, whoever, a relative or whatever, and it's just letting, it's just being let happen, tell us. We're mandated reporters. We want to help. But if it's not abuse, if it's not something of that sort, and it's just you don't get along with your family, your family doesn't serve God, so maybe they drink, they smoke, they argue, and it's a bad place to be a bad environment, Listen, we will be on the phone with you. We will pray with you. We will come over and meet your family. But one thing we do not want you to do is abandon your family. We don't want you to do that. Here's the thing. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 11. Let's read. Oh, is it Hebrews chapter 2? Sorry. Let me, let me make sure I get this verse. I really want you guys to see this. Because we can be hard on our families. But I want to let you know that they're just doing the best they can do. If we can go to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10. Sorry, I wrote it down wrong. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 through 11. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 10 through 11. We can all stand now, please. You see, our parents, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. And no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained. Again, that word, trained. I think one thing you understand today, if you forget anything, is that parents are meant to train you. They're meant to train you. And how that looks may be different. They're doing as best as they can. But God, his discipline is different. It's perfect. It's for our good. And it's so that we may share in his holiness. You see, the gospel is really much, it's pretty much an invitation into God's family. 
You see, Jesus spoke a lot about being born again in the kingdom of God. And, and, and as he sent his disciples out, those words changed a little bit, but it's the same meaning. What we talk about is faith in the family of God. You see, when we have faith in Christ, we're now included in the family of God, where he disciplines us not to make us feel bad, not to make us just destroyed and just in turmoil and, and sad and depressed, Not to make us away from him, but God disciplines us to bring us closer to him. So a lot of times we may go through things and we have to see it as discipline. Maybe you you lost friendships. Maybe you lost, you know, maybe people rejected you. Maybe people left you. Maybe you lost things, lost uh, positions. Maybe you even, hey, maybe your family began to be distant from you. And you may be thinking, why, God? Why is this happening? Why am I losing? But if we just change their perspective and we see maybe, right, God's discipline is not to, to make us feel wrong or make us feel like we're horrible and sinful, but maybe it's just so we can share in the holiness of God. You know, maybe when we sin, it's not so that we just stay away from God and never come back to church. Maybe when we sin, we hear what God's saying, we take the rebuke, and we get closer to him, and we share more in his holiness. We basically share in who he is. That's what I believe we have to take from God's discipline. That's what I think this training actually amounts to. It's so that we, at the end of the day, can share in God's holiness, so we can share in who he is. Now... For some of you, you know, maybe this is your first time, maybe this is your first few times or whatnot, maybe you're hearing a lot of these things and you're saying, hey, well, I don't really care about any of this. I barely know who God is. Listen, first thing you should do is believe what the Bible says about mothers and fathers. Nothing what I said should be anything alarming to you. This should be a review for some of you. This should be something like, well, that's common sense. Believe what the Bible says about mothers and fathers, why they're here, why God gave, us, gave them to us. Next, believe that God is your father. Believe that God is your father. Believe that fact that God is your father. Believe in the closeness of God. Now, believe that due to Jesus, his death, his burial, his resurrection, you now are a child of God. Understand that. There's three things you should believe. The Bible, what it says about mothers and fathers. Don't reject that. Believe that God is your father and believe that because of what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection, your identity is a child of God. You may be adopted in this place. You may not know your father in this place. You may not know your mother in this place. You may not live with them. But I want you to know that despite any of that, you are a child of God if you believe in Jesus Christ. Now, this is one thing I ask of you guys to do. Begin to respect and honor your parents. Begin to respect them. Begin to honor them. And we'll talk about that next week. Also, I want you to forgive your parents. Listen, this altar call time, I want it to be a time where you can forgive your parents. Whether they're here, whether they're not. Forgive your parents. Pray for your parents. And this is the last thing you could do. One day, become good parents. You may think, well, I don't want to have kids. Become good spiritual parents. The Bible says that true religion is this, caring for widows and orphans and remaining unpolluted in this world. So prepare for that now. If you want a family one day, what are you doing to prepare for that? What are you doing up here and in here to prepare to become one with someone and bring another life into this world. It's not easy. You need to rely on God. You need to know your father in order to be a good father. You need to know your father in order to be a good mother. So I hope that in hearing this, you guys feel like you're ready, right? Not to be parents, but to be children. Amen? to be teenagers, to be youth, to be living for God, to understand God is your father, 
But to understand and see the consistencies and inconsistencies in your parents and pray for them because they are doing their best. Now, this is the altar call. If everyone could bow their heads and close their eyes, I want this to, when I begin to speak, uh, I just want you to reflect, to think, and to begin to pray. Ask God to reveal to you in your heart because a lot of times we don't know what's in our heart, but God knows. So I would like everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. This is basically for you to focus for you to focus. Listen, the first altar call is going to be for those that have bitterness and resentment and hurt towards a parent. Whether that parent left, whether that parent's still there. I want you to come up and receive prayer. Family matters. So the second altar call is going to be for those that love their parents, but their parents don't know Jesus. I want you to come up and pray for them. Whether it be your mother, whether it be your father. Lastly, if you need prayer for anything, whether you just want to pray for mom and dad, period. They're doing good. They're doing great. Awesome. If you want to come up and pray for them, that'd be great as well. If you need anything else, we want to pray with you. But everyone, listen, this is a time for you to pray and change. This is a time for you to pray and see change, to see your parents change and come to know the living God. So as Melanie sings, I want you guys to come up. God is waiting. God knows family matters. Why? Because he created it to be something that matters. He created it to matter. If family doesn't matter to you, you have to check your heart. That's not the heart of God. If family doesn't matter to you, and you just want to leave as fast as you can, check your heart. Before I, I say a prayer dismissal, I just want to make this very clear. The things that I said, it's not used for you to shame your parents. This is not meant to be a whipping post for your parents. I, I kind of want you to understand your parents more after today. They have a huge responsibility. I want you to pray for them. I want you to seek God's will for their lives. And if you don't know your dad or your mom... Pray for them anyway, but pray for those that take care of you because they're in the place of father and mother. So hear me out today. Your parents are supposed to tra train you up in the Lord. The Bible doesn't talk about college. It doesn't talk about getting you the newest things. It doesn't talk about any of that because all that stuff is is Meaningless. What's eternally valuable, what has eternal meaning, is if a parent raises you up as a child devoted to the Lord. That's what has eternal worth. Everything else is secondary. Not saying it doesn't need to happen, but it's secondary. Understand that today. Father, I thank you, Lord, for every youth in this place, God. 
Lord, I know this word was long-winded maybe uh, for them. God, maybe it was things that they don't think they're ready for or ready to hear or even need to hear at this moment, God. But I pray right now for each and every youth in this place, God. You know them by name. You know the hairs on their head. You know the problems they've been to. You know the suffering they've gone through. But, God, you also know the spirit that is in them. It is your spirit. So I pray, God, by your spirit, by the power of your spirit, that you would raise them up to be men and women of God. That even if they don't get married or they do get married, I pray that they would be parents somehow. I pray that they would see children, whether it be their own or others, God. And they would love them. And they would care for them, expressing the heart of the Father. Expressing your heart, Lord. And God, I pray that we would hear your word. And God, when we hear words being told to us on how to live for you, I pray that we would take it serious and that we would choose to follow it. God, let us be on your path, not on any other path, God, but your path. And if we are on a wrong path, God, I pray that your discipline would lead us, that your correction would guide us, God, that your rebuke would be so heal, uh, that would heal us, God, when we sin. I pray this all in your mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.